Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Uh, today, we have Renee C. here, uh, Florida native, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've probably known you for like, what, seven years now? Mm-hmm. Eight, how long have you been clean now? Uh, f- 15 months. All right, 15 months. Mm-hmm. Coming up on 18 months, a year and a half. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's just dive into it. Uh, where are you from? What's your story? All right, well, uh, yeah, my name is Renee from Hollywood, Florida represent (laughs) yeah all day and uh you know i was born into the disease of addiction Mm -hmm. so you know my mom is an addict my dad is an addict and uh to be honest life at one point was good you know growing up um but you know when my parents tried to get it together right Mm -hmm. what had already happened was molestation you know, uh, you know, my dad beating my mom repeatedly in front of me, my dad going to jail for choking my mom. But I was always the one that tried to help my mom. I was there for my mom. So I was growing older or acting as an adult mm-hmm. at seven, eight years mm-hmm. old. And then, you know, my parents uh, said, oh, yeah, you know, we, we're going to get it together. My mom went to Bark. My dad went to Bark. And they got clean for a little bit. So in that time... I became a, a majorette. I was really good at what I did. I used to go to UM games. What's a majorette? Uh, 12 baton. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'd go to the UM games, the Dolphin games, uh-huh. you know, halftime shows. And I was really good. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at what I did. But the trauma, right, from the molestation, from, you know... Were you acting out a lot before that? Or were you like a pretty good kid up until that point? Well, I wanted the best. Like I wanted my parents not to fight. I didn't want to be touched no more. And I was being touched by a family member that my parents had in my house while they were, Mm -hmm. you know, using. And, you know, my mom did a lot of abuse too, like putting me in the garage and leaving me there, you know, in the dark, you know, just so I guess I was out of control, but I was out of control at a young age because Mm -hmm. I was being touched. Yeah. But so ignoring that fact. Did you ever try to tell them? Well, I didn't know. I thought it was like kind of normal, you know, but I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. I know I felt dirty. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. I felt like uh, super violated, but I would like, you know, break things in my room, you know, like that's how I was acting out. But when my parents got clean, like most of that abuse stopped, you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I mean, other than my parents still arguing, right? I mean, things seem to be all right, like all right, so here's like a new chapter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started like, you know, basically being um, good at what I did because I'm good in a structured environment. Mm-hmm. My coach said, do this, and I did that. But being around other little girls, right, that didn't experience what I experienced, me talking about things that were happening to me or had happened to me, and they would be like, what? Well, how, you know, what's, that's not right. That's not right. And I felt like ashamed, dirty. And, uh, I quit, 
I just, I just said, you know, I'm not doing this shit no more. Yeah. I'm not going to be here, you know, faking it like, I, like my life is perfect when I'm hurting. So that's when the hurt set in. So like around 12 years old, uh, self-mutilation became a big part of like my everyday life. And, uh, you know, like people would say, oh, well, what's that? I said, well, my cat, you know, but mm -hmm. my cat would only scratch like in straight yeah. lines. And uh, I would like spend most of my time too as, as well in mental institutions. So my parents would be like, oh, you're out of control. You got to call the cops. And, of course, I would go to be Baker Acted. And uh, that happened for, like, a year and a half straight. So, like, my door is removed from my, from my room. Everything in my room is broken. I'm, uh, you know, cutting myself, and I'm acting out in school. So now school is a big deal mm -hmm. because I was the type of person that uh, I'm a small person, Right, but you're not going to fuck with me, and I'm not going to let you, mm -hmm. right? If you looked at me funny, uh, I'm swinging on you. I'm going, you know, I'm going to get expelled. What school did you go to? I went to Olsen Middle down okay. in Dania. Okay. And uh, I was like one of those, like, you know, where they had to put me somewhere where I couldn't be on the break with the rest of the kids. So I was in dropout prevention, mm -hmm. you know, because I was crazy, you know, let alone like I didn't want you to know that I was hurting. But if you, if you got too close to me, I was going to fight you. You know, and uh, anything I did was to keep people away from me. Anything. It was uh, violence, cursing, spitting, jumping on people. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't care because I was that hurt. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because that was never addressed. You know, even when it came to the point where I addressed these things with my parents, it, uh, you know, they had already fell, fallen off the wagon, you know? So, yeah, like, so your parents never stayed clean at that point. Right. So, you know, my parents are drinking and then I'm going to school, but like I'm going to school and I'm stuck in this one class and I'm giving these psych meds, you know, I would sell the psych meds. So I got expelled. In middle school or high school? Middle school. Middle school? Seventh grade. My mm -hmm. second time in seventh grade. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, I sold my Seroquel to somebody. They found wow. the tablet, the, the, the packaging, because it's from the psych world. I had the mm -hmm. sheets. And because uh, they're like, oh, man, why you sleep like that? You know, I was like, well, fuck, I'm on tranquilizer. They're <laughs> like, oh, let me get some. And because I sold it to them and it was in my backpack, I was expelled from all Broward County schools. Mm. And uh, the only school I was able to go to was uh, South Area, which is called Lanier James, mm -hmm. the BSO school. And I didn't fit in there either. I didn't like being slammed on the mats by bodyguards mm -hmm. because I was defiant. I never listened. You know, I mean, it was the same thing. It was just like a vicious cycle. And then my parents are using, right? My mom's waking us up <clears throat> at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Hey, here goes some ramen noodles. I made you dinner. Like, bitch, that was hours ago, mm -hmm. you know? And that, all that affected me. Like, and it continued to, to affect me to where I was like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. And I left home at 13. Mm-hmm. So when I left home, I found somebody that was just like me, defiant. But uh, that quickly turned into like a really bad abuse. So he was 14, I was 13, and he would beat me every single day. If someone recognized wow, me. At 14, or you were 13. Yeah, I was getting dragged. When I say dragged, but my mom got dragged by my dad, mm -hmm. but that's love, you know? So that was instilled in me that my mom didn't leave, yeah. she wasn't gonna leave. So because she didn't leave and I found that and I felt like it was my own world and I didn't have to go to, back to my parents' world. I didn't have to be medicated. I didn't have to, I could just live how I wanted to live. It was, uh, it was what I thought was right. So like my first addiction was love. Mm -hmm. So I kept on looking for love 
uh, that I wanted, like the nurturing part, you know, because my parents were not available, you know, and and when they were available, they were like pretty upset, you know, and angry, and they're always fighting, and I would always be in trouble because, you know, I I needed to stay a lot, I just couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so when I moved out, so you know, I I started going to jail, so like from the time I was thirteen to 16 i had been in the juvenile detention center more than 18 times wow and then i had got sent away to a program uh for like a year and a half what would people say when they like came to your house and talked to your parents were they blaming your parents at all or like no they just say oh renee is living how she wants to live Mm -hmm. right you know like uh it's like even now it's like oh it wasn't that bad renee yeah it's like, oh, my dad trying to kill you wasn't that bad. Me going to, like, hotels with you wasn't that bad, you know, but you always going back. Mm-hmm. That wasn't bad to you. But for a, for a child. That's pretty bad, yeah. You know what I'm saying? The trauma was, like, insane. But, like, it was always, it always fell back on me. Oh, like, Renee's just crazy, you know, she just, she's not mentally right. Mm-hmm. But that was from a lot of trauma at a very young age, you know? So, I mean, like, and my my parents would know where I was. Uh, a couple times they tried to come get me, and a couple times I tried to call for help. And there's one time I called for help. I said he's he's trying to kill me, and my brother came, and my brother hit him with a baseball bat, but then ended up getting beat up with that bat. Wow! You know, how old was your brother? My brother was one year. He's one year, one day, and one month older than me, so we're very close. Mm-hmm. But my brother was very the, like the type that I don't want to see it run to his room, Mm -hmm. close the door, you know, like he never tried to stop what was happening, Mm -hmm. you know, but he ended up having his own issues Mm -hmm. later down the road. So then what happened after that? So I got incarcerated for uh, battery and strong arm robbery um, and uh, bodily harm. So basically I I beat up this girl really bad and I took like heirlooms, gold mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, I gave it to my boyfriend because whatever my boyfriend wants to do, that's, you know, because it was almost like a Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like at, at one point, that was the way I was living, but I knew it was wrong. But I stayed because I thought I could like, like somehow it'd be all right. Mm-hmm. And I went to jail. And then when I went to jail, he went to jail. And this is the same guy from when you were 13? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so for like 10 years. 10 years oh that's crazy so yeah because you know i mean and and the fact of the matter is is that when i went to jail right i was like wow like i'm not getting beat Mm -hmm. my ass is not getting dragged yeah i started thinking it's not that bad right and i I turned 18 (laughs) i turned 18 and i'm like what like you could just go ahead and uh live life without getting your ass beat your jaw being swollen Mm -hmm. having to go to the hospital get pins in your jaw well you got pins in your jaw from him beating you yeah yeah. And you would never say nothing? No. Well, you know, I couldn't. Yeah. You know? Uh, if someone from middle school noticed me and was like, hey, what's up, Renee? He had knocked me out cold mm-hmm. on the boulevard. And, you know, his par- his mom, his dad, his dad had gotten life for murder. So mm-hmm. he was, you know, traumatized. And he had his own problems as mm-hmm. well. And uh, it took it all out on me. So he was sick. Yeah. Um, but when I turned 18, I said, you know, I'm not doing this shit no more. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got a job at 
my very first job. So, so like drugs are not, this is, you know, this is like, I'm addicted to love. This is right? pre-drugs. This is pre-drugs. I'm 18 years old. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to live my life. I got a job at uh, Firehouse Subs. Hell yeah. And what happened was he found out I was working there. Mm-hmm. He came there with a gun before I came onto my shift. And then they notified the police, but then they notified me that he was looking for me. They said, "Some, you know, lock your door. Before I could even lock my door, mm-hmm. he came in with a golf club and beat me. Wow. At, at my work? parents' house. At, at my parents' house. Because I never made it to work because they told me, hey, lock your door. You know, the police are on their way. He kidnapped me and drugged me all the way to I-95. Jesus. And tried to kill me underneath the bridge. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it was like I was negotiating for my life. Like, hey, look, look, I'll go home with you. It's okay. Like, everything's going to be all right. And uh, we, he walked down, and then there was police and then a helicopter. And I just took off the hoodie he made me put on, mm-hmm. and I started running. And he went to prison. Over that? He wow. went, yeah, for attempted murder and kidnapping. Jesus. And I felt bad for him. I felt bad for him. I said, oh, my God, now he's going to prison over me. I'm not going to testify. I'm going to go in there and make it all right because mm-hmm. that's how sick I was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? From, I guess, me falling in love with, like, basically my captor. Mm-hmm. You know, it was such a routine for me to always say when the police would come, oh, it, did he just black your eye? No, no, I, I fell down the stairs. Wow. So I tried for a long time to cover up what he was doing to me, mm-hmm. but this time it was uh, impossible it was impossible. So you, you didn't testify and they still charged so him? No, yeah, so I went. I went to court and the 911 mm-hmm. call was me screaming while I was being beaten. Wow. You know, screaming for help. Mm-hmm. So that's damning evidence in itself. And uh, yeah, he went to prison. But, the, you know, that's not where that ends. You know, he got out, right? Because they dropped the attempted murder because I just had like a lot of like, you know, bruises on mm-hmm. my face and my neck and my head. You know, like I was all swollen. Yeah. And he got out after five years and then made contact with me again. And I have a scar on my eye. Mm-hmm. He hit me with a, a 45 caliber pistol uh, and told me he was going to kill me. Wow. And that's the last time I ever saw him. When he, he got out of prison? Me. Yeah, he hit me. And I was like leaking blood Mm -hmm. and he got on a bike and then I never saw him again. Jesus. But he ended up getting life plus 30 years for something unrelated to me. Mm -hmm. So he was going to live that way anyways. So what (laughs) happens later on in your story? (laughs) So, you know, that abuse, right? I loved cutting, right? I I love to like... So you at know, that point, you're not really fucking with drugs at all? No, 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 no. So no, it's about to turn up. Mm-hmm. It's about to turn up deep. Okay, so after that point, how old are you? Uh, So when he finally, like, I never saw him again. Mm-hmm. This is this time he was in prison. I accumulated like a box Chevy, okay. you know, the things I liked, you okay. know, a job. Okay. You know, I, I stripped a little bit here and there, but I was always too violent to stay in the club. You know, like really? I, they touched me and then the, I'm getting, you know, you know, they, they would put me on a probation period where You'd I could be beating the guys up straight up. Yeah. Straight up. Like looking, touch me one more time. And then, you know, I would be fired from these jobs. So like Cheetah, I couldn't go back in there. I couldn't go in back into a lot of spots. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, 
you know, like I, I was finding myself, like what my identity really was, mm -hmm. but I felt like I was missing something. So it's been a long time. Like, so for like two and a half years, three years, I wasn't being abused, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wasn't cutting. Right. But like, I missed it so much. The pain. The pain. Right. So now I'm addicted to the pain. Right. And my life turned into like this whole shit show. Basically, I found somebody that did pills. I did one pill, went straight to the needle. How old are you? It's like at this time, like 23. Jesus. Okay. I, and, 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 you know, I don't have a job, mm -hmm. right? I sold my Chevy within two weeks of mm -hmm. using. And then I, and then someone introduced, uh, you know, the rock. Mm -hmm. I, was, I always said, man, this, this will never leave me. This mm -hmm. will never really like, you know. So you got introduced to what? Blues? Blues. Yeah. Blues, blues. at first. And then you started shooting blues or you mm -hmm. started shooting dope? Well, I didn't know how to at first. So my best friend, Chuck, who is now clean, mm -hmm. you know, but. Uh, Chuck D? Yeah. Chuck oh, D. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. No. No, Schneider? Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know you guys were. No, yeah, channel. we grew up together. Yeah. And we're going out of town actually this weekend. That's what's up. Yeah. yeah. No, Chuck. That's cool. So I said, you know, I said, hey, you know, uh, you know, hit me. Uh -huh. And then I would watch him. And um, soon after that, I learned. Because, you know, he wasn't always around to shoot me up. Yeah. So um, it escalated very quickly. So then I found out about, uh, you know, tricking, prostitution. Mm -hmm. And then that took off to introducing me to crack. I was like, wow, this is the love of my life, man. What? I'm yeah. like, I, I really, I mean, I, I, I really felt like that was it. This, it took away the pain, but yet the way I was doing it mm -hmm. was, was also like insane yeah. so i was the type that would stab 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 blood everywhere very messy so were you shooting crack immediately mm -hmm. immediately you weren't really even smoking it no i wow. went straight to the vinegar yeah and i was uh shooting crack wherever i could in my body mm -hmm. wherever i could find because i was you know i was a a, a a rookie yeah you know so i mean i, I was showing <laughs> someone showed me once and i was like i got this yeah you know and and i and i started doing it and i started blowing veins mm -hmm. right so that's how it started off and then it progressed to the point where I, I would hide my rig in a puddle or by a bush, no cap, right? Because I don't want to get stopped on the scroll while mm -hmm. I'm tricking yeah. and someone be like, oh, hey, you know. Paraphernalia yeah, or whatever. Right, because I, I don't went to jail for that a couple times, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, also, possession of cocaine. I'm you used convicted. to hide a rig in a puddle with no cap? Mm-hmm. I used to shoot. Get out of here. I used, I used to shoot puddle water. And I'm wow. excited. Because people say that, and I'm always like, you never <laughs> shot up puddle water. Well, you know what? I, they If they've had open heart surgery, they shot mm -hmm. puddle water, Jesus. toilet water. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then I found, you know, heroin. And so from 23 now, because mm -hmm. now the my abuser's been gone, and I and I thought I you know w knew what I wanted in my life, but I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly what I liked, but I know I liked pain. So I'm you know doing my thing, right? I was healthy when I started. Mm -hmm. When I started, I was thick, you know, cute, mm -hmm. whatever. And then it turned into like I'm still tricking with these people, but I'm 85 pounds, yeah. right? skin and bone like and these people are still buying me mm -hmm. you know so like me being 
you know, so addicted, I had this pattern and I had like these, like, I guess friends, Mm -hmm. what did you call them? Street family. And uh, I went to this place, you know, this is like maybe like uh, two years into being like no shoes, no toenails. I could never keep shoes on my feet. Um, I always, you know, walking into traffic, getting hit by cars, always on federal highway. And uh, I said, you know, hey, guys, I'm going to buy this car from you, but I'm going to lay down because I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I had been already sick for months, but I was masking it with the drugs repeatedly. Mm-hmm. I lived to use and used to live. And uh, I said, I, I, I want to lay down. So when I lay down, I couldn't get back up. I had a fever of 100, probably 107. I couldn't walk. And uh, they were telling me, get get up, get out. You know, because I, I was wetting myself, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, because my body was basically having trouble. Shutting down. Yeah, yeah, you know. And they're like, oh, man, just just put her in the fucking dumpster. Wow, you heard people say that? So these are the people that I used with. These are the people I saw every day. These are the people I stole with, what I hung out with. They said, right, go put her in the dumpster. And I'm still fucking breathing. Wow. Okay. And it, and, and, uh, and a trick came looking for me. Mm-hmm. Must have been like 7.30 in the morning. It was bright. It was bright they out. They put you in the dumpster? No, they dragged me out the back. Wow. They dragged my body. I'm mm-hmm. still breathing. Yeah. To go put me in the dumpster. And uh, I heard like commotion. You know, like I'm I'm in and out of like, you know, and I'm I'm shaking. It's November. I know it's December. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm freezing. And the doors open, so like I'm shaking uncontrollably. And uh, the trick, he picked me up and took me to the gas station, left me there, and called 911. And by the time I got to the hospital, um, my mitral valve to my heart mm-hmm. was completely eaten away. So you had already had heart pro- problems before this? No. Oh, this is? This is all due to IV drug mm-hmm. use. Dirty IV drug use. So that means I'm taking the rig from you while your blood's still in it and I'm shooting at me and I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You, you know, living to use and using to live by any means, you know. And the sad thing about it was, you know, I would suck up dirt mm-hmm. from the puddle. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? A goddamn bacteria from the toilet. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't matter where the water came from or, you know, I just needed it to be in the, you know, my rig, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, what happens is when you use like that, right, the dirt and the bacteria, it settles in your heart, right? right? And so, so that's like, where all the veins meet. Yeah. Like, wow. And so, like, you know, my, my mitral valve was, you know, being eaten by the bacteria and the vegetation mm-hmm. was slowly breaking off, going to my head, my liver, my kidney, and my spleen, and my body was shutting down. So I got admitted to the hospital Friday the 13th, December 13th, 2013. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And The I, first time? The first time. Okay. And they said, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, we're going to try to make you all right. But my heart failed. So my heart was failing, right? So I would wake up and and smear shit all over the wall because my fevers were so high. Mm. I was septic, so septic that I was delusional. I couldn't I couldn't even, like, you know, remember names. I didn't know who I was. And then um, come around New Year's, my heart failed. So my heart couldn't pump anymore. So they did an emergency open-heart surgery. And that's just from doing drugs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I was healthy before using. And um, how old are you in 2013? 
Uh, I was 25. So two and two thousand, yeah, like twenty. So you started using at twenty three, and at twenty five, you're in the hospital having emergency heart surgery due to shooting up with dirty needles in puddle water. Damn right, because I lived to use and used to live. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and you know, like I I was uh, mutilating myself, just like I was. I would cut, just like I would get tattoos. Sticking you know, that on you, yeah, yeah. It, it was a you know, it was a form of uh, you know self mutilation as well. You know, what mm-hmm. I'm saying the thrill of seeing the blood everywhere, just messy and crazy, mm-hmm. and you know, not me not taking care of myself. You know, and uh, I when I was in the hospital, I didn't have enough blood in my body to do the surgery. Mm-hmm. It was 85 pounds. So I had seven um, transfusions, okay? And they finally did the surgery, but I had a 20% chance of making it. Mm -hmm. And I lived. Hell yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, And I I used after that. Yeah. I hit the street with a big... Did you try to get clean? Uh, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. Didn't even know what recovery was. Didn't even know anything about it. Yeah. You know, my my parents. I know my parents went to Bark a long time ago. But but what is that to me getting in using? Yeah. You know, like I. So what? You hit the streets with what? I had uh, a big bright pink scar, Mm -hmm. which is now like you know it's blended, Mm -hmm. and uh, I had a bathing suit top on, and I'm like you know using out the gate, and I overdosed on uh, cocaine. How many days after the surgery? It was three months because I had to do uh, uh, like uh, a treatment for the septic. Mm -hmm. So maybe like four months, three months. And I went back to the same hospital. They said, were you trying to die? You know you're going to die, right? And I said, well, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I left again. They baker racked me. They said, you're Mm -hmm. trying to commit suicide. Because I was using against my will. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know. And like sometimes I hear stories about people and they're not using not even 0.1% as bad as you. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, yo, I'm going to go over there and talk to them or like, you know, I'll still try and help them. And pe- other people will be like, nah, bro, they're not even worth it. And I was oh. like, you know, I've seen so many people get clean. Yeah. And to like the average person, they might seem like they don't want to get clean or they don't care about themselves. But like they literally don't know. Like they don't know another exactly. way. Like. And I believe that, like, that person can get clean. And, like, when I hear your story, it just, like, reinforces that, like, you yeah. know, even when I see, like, homeless people on the street, like, I think they can get clean, you know? And, and you know, I was like that homeless person, mm-hmm. shitty, pissy. I didn't take care of myself on my period. You know, people would throw beer bottles at me, uh, throw uh, empty coffee cups, hot coffee cups mm-hmm. on me. That's how disgusting. Hot coffee cups? Mm-hmm. People threw hot coffee cups on you? Yeah, because I would just be like, oh, outside, you know, the at, at, yeah, at the very end of my end when no one, oh like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the bitter end, you know, uh, people are just like, oh, Jesus. You know, it, like I had like, you know barely any clothes on skin and bones i i know i looked like shit Mm -hmm. you know but i still was trying to use you know by basically dying Mm -hmm. so 2013 you come out the hospital use again you go back to the same hospital like what are these people and they baker act you because they think you're basically suicidal Mm -hmm. and and they they said they they said you know um maybe you should try getting clean because we're not going to do another surgery on you we just sawed open your chest and Mm -hmm. replaced your heart with a bioprosthetic to save your life, and you go and you use again. So they kind of mentioned some things, but that's not where I found my hope of getting clean. Mm-hmm. 
I was in a hotel room and I had no more veins left. And I just kept on being like, there's gotta be something more to my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't use anymore. The way I wanted to use, I couldn't. There was no way of me getting high. There was no way of me putting it in my body that I was going to feel the way that I wanted to feel. You know, you could always smoke it, sniff it, but that's not what I wanted, yeah. you know. And uh, I, I asked somebody, they said, oh, you, you know, bark can give you, you know, a chance, you know. And my, my mom at the time, she was shit-faced drunk. She was like, you know what, Renee? All right, you go to bed, and then in the morning, I'm taking you down there. So, they, you know, it took me to bark. Mm-hmm. And... And I remember shooting crack on the way, telling my mom, shut the fuck up. (laughs) You know, because I had rested a whole day and my veins were back, you know. And I remember shooting crack on the way to Bark and uh, and terrorizing my mother. You know, she had it bad enough with her own disease, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And uh, I finally got there and they had H&I. And uh, you know, people that don't know, that's when uh, twelve-step members bring in twelve-step meetings into hospitals and institutions. And you know, like you know, when I say that, um, you know, I was still skin and bone. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had callus on my feet about an inch thick Mm. because I'd always lose my shoes somehow because that's just the way I use. (laughs) I don't know what happens. I lose one. I'm like, oh fuck it, and I keep on walking. So you know, Mm -hmm. I, I I was beat up, and someone looked at me. Um. Her name, her name's Desiree. Mm-hmm. She looked at me. She smiled at me. And, um, you know, it was like a genuine smile. Like, I know what you're going through because I am you. You're just mm-hmm. like me and I'm just like you, you know. And uh, she hugged me. And when she hugged me, um, I felt like maybe I could survive. Maybe this mm-hmm. works. Maybe that, you know, I don't have to suffer every single day. You know, Mm -hmm. and I had a little glimmer of hope. And so, like, I did the whole entire treatment of Bark, the Bark Pyramid, because I met somebody that was enthusiastic about recovery, um, that was a female, Mm -hmm. that had a similar story, you know, of, you know, selling herself, using, getting, and, you know, I mean, just the whole vibe. And I I got clean, stayed clean. Um, And how I stayed clean is... Not that, you know, the treatment part is that I submerged myself in a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I did all everything 12-step. You know, I would, I would go down to the Keys, you yeah. know, like spiritual retreats, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I would, like, basically live my life just like how I was using. I put all that energy mm-hmm. into catching buses you know, to meetings. And then that turned into me getting a job. And then my job just giving me a car mm-hmm. just out the blue, you know, and like it was weird things that were happening and that would never would have happened to me if I was using. So you got clean at uh, the first time. Uh, what uh, it was year? Ju- it was June 16th, 2014. Okay. So a year after your first stint in the hospital, you got clean. Mm-hmm. That's Basically. pretty cool. So, like, you know, dive into, like, what meetings were like for you, like, that first year, you know, that first, like, couple months, you know, like, who you met. Did you meet other people from your neighborhood no. or whatever? So, you know, so, so <laughs> you know, check me out. So, I didn't go back to Hollywood. Uh-huh. I stayed in Fort Lauderdale. They called that Gold Coast. And uh, this guy, this guy got up there and he said, now, I'm going to tell you, this is what saved, this saved me. And mm-hmm. this is what it felt like. I felt like I could identify. The guy said, 
just because I smoke crack don't make me a bad person. Mm-hmm. It just means I smoked crack. Or it's like more or less that just because I smoked crack and committed armed robberies don't make me a bad person. Mm-hmm. That's just what I've done. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm like so far removed from that. And I said, well, you know what? I'm not that person today. Like I'm not hopping in cars. I'm hopping on the bus. And they're so embracing to mm-hmm. me. You know what I'm saying? I saw people with face tattoos, you know, and I saw a lot of people laughing, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just like a whole vibe, like mm-hmm. loving, you know, mm-hmm. like the greeters would hug me. Mm-hmm. And then I turned into the greeter. Yeah. And then I was like that one that was like, kind of like awkward, like, oh, do you want to hug? No, you don't want it. <laughs> you know, and I started doing service, yeah, you I know. I've seen you like just pop up in like, you know, the 12-step house and you'd be doing the readings and like hugging everybody and uh, like, you know, you know, like, ever since I met you, I just, like, you know, I just like you. You know what I mean? I was just like, yeah, Renee's my dog. Like, we were just, like, <laughs> cool. Up, yeah. yeah, we were just cool from the beginning. So, like, you know, watching, like, I never even heard you speak before, you know? But, like, there was there was just, like, something in you that, like, when I would see you, it would make me smile because, like, you, you're just grateful to be clean, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, like, the horrors of addiction, mm-hmm. dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, my bottom's got trap doors. You know, and then I saw people just living free. There was a freedom in the rooms. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A sense of I could do what the fuck I want because I can mm-hmm. from freedom, from active addiction. So I don't I'm not chasing no drug. Now, you know, I was more or less chasing that energy. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a sponsor because I wanted what, you know, my sponsor had because she was doing cool shit, going to concerts, doing cool shit that I never thought that was possible because I was never that person. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was never able to find out who I was because I started using, Mm -hmm. you know, like it stopped me dead in my tracks and that turned me into a monster. So when I like, you know, met people that were living their life, I was like, oh, man, it's a whole vibe. We can like, you know, hang out. Mm -hmm. And I stayed out of a relationship for a whole year. But I had uh, got into a relationship at a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a bad decision at the time. Because I thought, because I'm getting better, I can share some of my getting better with you, you know? Oh, I can take away some of your problems. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't an addict, but he had went to war. Oh, wow. Yeah, PTSD, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And uh, it was uh, one of those things that, like, I would be like, oh, well, I'm going to make you better. It's going to be all right. Then, like, I had 18 months clean. I got pregnant. And then, um, you know, I stopped doing the things that kept me clean. So I had had H&I commitments as well. I, and I held those for, for a year. And then when I got two years, I got a bar commitment, you know, and I, I was really proud of that. And um, I don't know. It's just that I stopped slowly doing yeah. the things that kept me clean. Mm-hmm. So I stopped going to meetings. I worked full time because now I'm taking care of a man that can't work. Mm-hmm. He can't really leave the house. He's got his problems, but I'm trying to fix that. Don't worry about it. I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. I'm fine. My sponsor, I'm fine, you know? And uh, I relapsed after I had my son because I stopped doing the things you're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. I was telling someone the other day, I was like, you know, it's like a relationship. You know, when you get in the relationship, you know, when you're trying to get the girl, you start doing all these things. And then once you got the girl, you stop doing those things. And then you realize, like, you know, why you lose the girl. So I was telling someone the other day, it's like, you know, if you want recovery, you got to act like you keep getting it. Not right. that you got it. Right. You know. Oh, and, you know, my pride and my ego. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Because I didn't want you to know that I was hurting. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, you know, I had stopped 
you know, really participating. And then when I had my son, I would tell people like, you know, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't really know if I wanted my baby. So my hormones were going up and down, right? And then my disease is attacking me. And I gave into that. I, I had like 700 numbers in my phone and I didn't pick up the phone to say, hey, look, man, I want to use. Mm -hmm. I just used. Yeah. And it was the most devastating decision out of all the times I've used in my life. It was the most devastating thing I've ever done. Yeah. 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 Because I, I relapsed. Uh, and uh, in the course of that week, I... <sighs> I met somebody. I said, hey, man, where are we going to get this stuff? Because mm -hmm. I, I haven't been out here for like, you know, like two and a half years. <laughs> what's going on? What's new? And uh, I mean, it was like just because I had got clean didn't change the way I was going to use. Yes, yeah, the same thing. You know what I'm saying? I stabbed and dug and, and, and mutilated myself with broken needles for a week. Mm. With my, with my son, who I had early because I had a heart condition, which was traumatizing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, he was removed from me at emergency C-section because my heart couldn't pump for me and him. So that was, you know, one thing that I didn't even get to, like, uh, cope with. Mm -hmm. And then I'm riding around with my, you know, small little baby. He's, like, basically premature, you know. So it was, like, two months after he was born, and I overdosed with him in the back seat. And I remember saying, oh, this isn't heroin. And that was it. I woke up in the really? same, yeah, I woke up in the same hospital. You were by yourself, just your no, baby? No, with the, with, with the strange, with the stranger mm -hmm. that was smoking dope mm -hmm. uh, that I had just met. And I say, hey man, you know where to get it? She's like, yeah, I know where to get it. And then I remember parking my car, looking at her, and being like, this isn't heroin. And then I woke up in the hospital. Wow. I don't know where my baby is. I'm, I'm yelling for where's my baby. I just had the, my son at that hospital two months previously. You know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, well, well man, where's your child? I don't know. Oh, they didn't know where the child was. Right. But so I kept on overdosing. So they would Narcan me. And I would continue to overdose every time the Narcan wore off. So, you know, I had some really potent stuff. So that's what they were kind of focused on. Like, oh, man, like we're trying to make sure that you don't keep on like, you know, stop. You're not going to stop, stop breathing. breathing. Yeah. And uh, finally, I got through all that and I woke up and uh, BSO was there. I said, oh, man, they're like, where's your baby? So at this point, the stranger had some somehow found my friend through Facebook and some kind of interaction, and found my baby. baby yeah, found my baby sweaty in a hot car, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, and brought my child to to my parents' house. And at this time, my my parents are clean because my parents got clean right after me. Wow, they're clean. Yeah. So so my my mom got clean a month after me. So my mom's coming up on uh, seven years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So they were clean. So they got my baby. BSO yeah. is like, hey, you know what? Uh, we're gonna remove your baby from your care. Okay. And I was like, wow. I said, well, I have postpartum. I need help. So they, they went to treat me for that problem, but they didn't 
check my body for any kind of infection, knowing that I had like a bioprosthetic and it's easily, you know, infect, you can infect it very yeah. easily. Um, so, I mean, I, I got treatment and I went to treatment. So I, I went to the Fort Lauderdale Hospital for the, you know, postpartum. And then I went to Susan B. Anthony. And at Susan B. Anthony, I'm doing my thing. I'm, I, and and my, my pride of my ego is broken. My mind, yeah. you know, they got texts there telling me what to do. And I was just a behavioral health tech. Another place, on, yeah. on maternity leave, you know what I'm saying? I had my, I thought I had my life together. So now I'm coming back. I see the same people bringing in H and I meetings, mm-hmm. right? My pride and ego is like, oh man, mother, you know. I just threw two and a half years down the drain, you know. But I was grateful to see those people because they loved me just the same. Um, so I was sick, you know. So I would have these fevers, and they'd say, oh, just take the ibuprofen, you'll be all right. I took that for two months masking my fever and in the middle of the night waking up in sweats mm-hmm. uh you know wetting the bed you know like there's weird things happening and i didn't you know i i didn't want to believe but it was a very familiar situation mm-hmm. the fevers were really high i start shaking take the ibuprofen i'd feel good for an hour and a half then i'd have to take another one because they said oh you know if your temperature isn't over 102 we're not taking you know, i said you know what you can take your ibuprofen and shove it I'll be back in five minutes. Yeah, you knew something was wrong. Yeah, yeah, something was wrong. So then I took my temperature and it was 105.8. And then I started shaking like uncontrollably. And that's only because I wanted to use one more time so I didn't want to feel how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got really fucking sick. By the time I got to the hospital, um, they said, well, ma'am, you have the same kind of infection, the same type of bacteria. So, you know, you're, you're probably going to pass away. We don't think we can treat this bacterial infection. So it was a type of MRSA that I had before, but when you take that medication, you build up a resistance to it, mm-hmm. so it's harder to treat, right? So my body's already like knows that medication and uh, they basically said, oh, you're gonna die, right? And then the heart surgeon comes in, he says, we're not giving you heart surgery because we've given it to you before. And I said, well, please, man, I was just clean. Like, I have a baby. Like, I'm pleading for my life. You know, I said, please do the heart surgery. I don't want to die. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to leave my baby alone because I used one more time. And um, they came back a couple hours later, and they said, ma'am, we can do the heart surgery, but we have to control the infection first. And I said, all right. <sighs> all right, I'm going to live. And then at um, 4 o'clock in the morning, that morning, just by chance and God, I had to wake up and go to the bathroom to move my IV, mm-hmm. but I couldn't move my body. And uh. I couldn't, like, barely sit up. My, my body felt like a 1,000 pounds. Like, it felt so heavy. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm trying to say something to the nurse, and the nurse is like, oh, man, like... You all right? Just lay back down. And I'm talking. What I think I'm saying is there's something wrong. But I wasn't saying anything. I was mumbling and drooling. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then they hit the button. She's like, oh, she's having a stroke. You know? And I remember them putting the shock pads on the bed and rushing me to go get a CAT scan or MRI. And uh, they said, what number do you want us to call? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't tell them, you know. I said, oh, man, here it goes. And I closed my eyes. And then when I opened my eyes, 
the people and the lives that I had changed while being clean came to my bedside because they didn't want me to wake up alone and they didn't want me to die alone. And that's the power of a 12-step program. It didn't matter that I had relapsed. All that mattered is that I had another chance. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I would open my eyes. And so my reality was different. So looking at you, I, I thought I was standing up on a bed. Mm-hmm. My brain is bleeding. So yeah. like uh, reality is warped, you mm-hmm. know? I couldn't move anything on this side. couldn't feel it. And uh, people would bend over to me, like, you know? But I thought I was saying hi standing up on a bed. Wow. And then I would feel like they would push me out into the hall. Mm-hmm. Like that was like my reality. Like what I remember is them pushing me out the hall and down the hall. And uh, from everybody that was there, it's uh, that, that never happened, you know? So like, you know, I had an 8% chance um, of living through the night. And that's what they told my parents. You know, my, my parents so are my crazy. kid. so crazy. Where do they come up with these like numbers well, from eight percent, you know, like and, you know, and, and it's like you know because they didn't know if they could get the the vegetation that was blocking and suffocating mm-hmm. me, so they didn't know how to go in. I had brain surgery through my groin. Mm. <laughs> two weeks later, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, uh, they didn't know how to do it. So, like, the amount of bleeding every time it it bleeds and touches anything electrical in your brain, it kills that route. That mm-hmm. route is dead. So the route that I would lift my hand with is gone, you know, the natural way, like this hand, mm-hmm. like uh, second nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, and, you know, like the doctors don't know my God. Yeah. You know, that's like the power of like, you know, like prayer and, and uh, you know, the power of just like knowing that there's a, there's a power greater than myself. There's no way that I woke up at four o'clock in the morning to use the bathroom mm-hmm. while having a stroke. Because if I would have had a stroke in my bed, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have known. I, I probably would have been a vegetable by the time, you know, they, they got to me. Because if you have a stroke by yourself, a lot of people are very like impaired, mm-hmm. you know. And I had a major brain aneurysm. So like that percentage is just because they try to use some science or give you the worst, you know, like yeah. the worst things first. And, um, I, you know, I, I lived through two brain surgeries just because I wanted to use one more time. So during that whole time, you still want to use? I wanted to die. I yeah. made everybody, right? My brain is bleeding. <laughs> I made everybody sign a paper not to resuscitate. And my child's father came in and said, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, who is allowing her to make these decisions? Her brain is bleeding. Like, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with you guys? And and a lot of them were like, oh, we we didn't sign it. She just, you know, made us like, you know, made it think. We just made her think that we signed it. Right. Because I wanted to die. I couldn't move my body. They're telling me you're never going to walk again, Renee. You know, uh, you're never going to hold your child. Uh, the, the, The most maybe you could do is sit up on your own. That's that's the news they broke to me. And uh, I, I thought to myself, I said, I can't go out like this. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to use and I wanted to die. I couldn't walk out of the hospital and I couldn't, you know, go anywhere to hang myself. Yeah. I, I, I would have somebody come to my bed while I would shit, okay, press a button. I got to pee, press a button. And sometimes they wouldn't make it on time. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. The... the, the, the uh, de- demoralization 
of like what my thought my life was and I, and I couldn't move anything. So, you know, therapy started right away and uh, they would come into my room early in the morning and said, listen, if you don't move it, you're going to lose it. You know, and, and I would be like, oh, well, fuck you. I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> move my arm. It's just not moving. You know, so how about fuck you come back tomorrow? You know, and then the next day I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. And um, and they made like dummies for me to practice with, like little ch- like a child. Uh-huh. I said I have to, so and the oh and so when it came to that, my child. Now they're saying, oh, well, she had a, a major brain aneurysm. The child's still young enough to put up for adoption, and he would never know that. You know, it would. Who's telling you this? The judge. So wow. I spent four months in the hospital uh, with rehabilitation. I still had a lot of problems, you know, like uh, walking to the bathroom. I'd always fall between the toilet and the wall, you <laughs> know, because one side's heavier than the other. And I would trip a lot. But um, I was determined to get better. Yeah, I remember this. I said, I'm, I, I said, I'm, I'm not going to give up today. You know, and it was the hardest thing for me to ever do because when your body, um, when you make new connections in your brain and you can't feel anything on this side, uh, your life has changed. Yeah. The way you walk has changed. The way you talk has changed. The way, uh, you know, you, you do anything, the way you get dressed is the way they trained you to get dressed, you know, in, in a rehabilitation hospital. You know, I get I get dressed like n- nothing like one foot and, you know, I have to sit down. There's a lot of like safety precautions that I do um, all because I wanted to use one more time, you know. And it's like they told me, well, you can't be a mom. Look at you. You know, you just used, uh, you know, uh, when you overdose. So this would be like eight months. I got eight months clean. So I made it through that event without using, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, that pride and that ego stayed with me. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's, you know, I, I'm going to get my child. I, I, I'm, I'm like, you know, a miracle. You know, like, I, I'm all right. Yeah. You know, and I got custody of my son when they told me I couldn't. They, I, you know, I held my son when they told me I'd never be able to hold my son again. You know, and uh, I wasn't honest. You know, I came back into the program like, oh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm cool. Mm-hmm. But really, my life had changed forever. So I back up my car into the same tree, right? I would drop my coffee cup almost every other day. But see, I locked those doors because I didn't want to visit that trauma. I didn't want to deal with the fact that I changed my life forever. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that doesn't bother me. Uh, me almost dropping my son <clears throat> because I had like, a, like you know, like I forgot I was holding him. You know, I'm going to lock that away because we're not going to address that today. You know, and I used over that. After having two brain surgeries, I used again. You know, <sighs> and, and, and the, the disease is so insidious. And, you know, I, I really hate speaking, but like I speak because my friends are dead, you know. And uh, like all I can really say about that incident is that it made me a stronger person. I just wasn't ready to face it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't want to come to the terms that that really happened to me. It was almost like a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm watching it like third person type deal. Like, oh, wow, that's that's good. Everything's good. Like, you know, good. And then, like, when the things that hurt a little bit came about, I'd be triggered. I'm like, damn, man. Like, 
damn, like, I really can't, like, do stuff like that. Or, like, man, I really hold my hand like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really walk like that. You know, and I used over that. And 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 the only reason why I've used, and I've heard people say this, and I know it's a fact, is because they didn't work the 12 steps mm-hmm. honestly. Now, when you were clean those first two years, did you work all 12? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I had a sponsorship family. I was very connected. I had H&I commitments. I went to meetings. Mm-hmm. That was my life, you know. But I slowly stopped doing those things. I thought, oh, well, maybe I'm better, you know. And, and I was expressing something like I was expressing to my child's father that there's something wrong. Instead of calling my sponsor and being like, yo, there's something wrong. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, I had freedom I just didn't know how to get back there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I really didn't want people to know that, uh, like, my truth. My truth was that I was hurting over the fact that my life had changed forever just because I wanted to use one more time. You know, my, my son's life changed forever because I wanted to use one more time, you know? And uh, this time... Well, how I got here is that I got tired of running on my ankle because I have drugs in my system. My body can't function under the pressure. So how long did you use for after those eight months? So I got a, I got 18 months clean, mm-hmm. and, then I, and then I relapsed. Wow, you stayed clean for another 18 months? Mm-hmm. Because I was, you know, like I was trying to, like, you know, yeah. participate. Um, but, you know, like I said, I was lying to myself and lying to everybody. That it's all good. It's you all good. All it's Gucci. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm a miracle. Man. You got me fucked up. Like, I'm yeah. not like, you know, I'm, I'm not suffering, but I was. You know, like, my, like, so, like, you know, I missed out on a lot of things while, like, I had to learn how to walk, talk, get dressed, and uh, put little, like, pieces of puzzles together with a hand that really didn't work well, right? And so all that trauma, I just balled up. I was like, bitch, we ain't gonna worry about that today, yeah. you know. And and like, you know, people would always be like, "Wow, I'm so proud of you." And I would just keep that, hold on to that, and be like, "Oh, okay." But then I started <clears throat> to work steps, mm-hmm. and I was triggered AF, bro. Like, I did not want to, I didn't want to like touch those things that hurt me, and uh, I, I went out, and I, I went out for two years. Damn. So then you go out for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have custody of my son. <laughs> wow. So it's okay. two years you're using and you have custody and you're yeah. dealing with this mm-hmm. yeah. uh, <laughs> medical issues. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm, I'm going, uh, I decided to get on Suboxone, which is a, a, a terrible drug. I'm all for harm reduction, but that did not help me because I like to speedball. I like to shoot crack and, and do a Suboxone. At that point. You would shoot Suboxone? Yeah. And I'm going to a clinic. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming up dirty every week. It don't matter. I say, well, I got my son, whatever. Like, I bring my son. Yeah, so, you know, I was using... They didn't care that you were dirty? Mm-mm. That's wild. So, like, DCF wasn't notified, right? And I was, like, pretty much, like, playing the system, like, that it wasn't, like, really a problem, you yeah. know? I'm torturing my son because my son is scared of me. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, I'm with... Okay, so I'm I'm when I'm speaking anyways, mm-hmm. my hand has a tendency to rise and tighten. Mm-hmm. That's just like a 
uh, automatic reaction that my hand does. And on crack, okay, I can't walk. Wow. This this foot is introverted in, and I'm uh-huh. walking on my ankle. Okay, I looked like a monster to my child. Mm-hmm. Tortured my child. You know what I'm saying? I, he'd be like, where are we going, mommy? I'm like, I'm going to get a crack rock. You know? And I would fight with my child's father to use one more time. And it was, it was, it got to the point where um, suicide was the only way. You know? I mean, the getting and using was, I was tired. And I was also tired of crying. I was also tired, like, of seeing my son suffer. And uh, there was this one time... You know, you ever see a baby, like, you know, cry hysterically Mm -hmm. for the mother? My dad made a comment. He said, your son's going to cry for you like that, hysterically, for the rest of his life if you die today. And I would still use. So, but that would haunt me, that one sentence that my dad would say, you know, he's going to cry for you for the rest of his life. And, um... I, I tried to slip my wrist at my child, my, my baby daddy's house. And I was trying to, like, you know, bleed out. And, you know, he called 911, and it, it was just messy. There was blood everywhere, you know. And then I'm in the hospital. I'm trying to pick out the stitches because I wanted to get back to where I was, but I didn't know how. This was the only way out. Suicide was the only way that I was going to soothe my pain. And uh, that didn't work. So I used, like, two more times. And the last time I used, um, I had a gun I was just using with somebody that had that. And I put it in my mouth and I held it there and I tasted the, the metal. And then like I had this like overwhelming fear came over me that like my child would be crying for me because he was born to the disease to no fault of his own. Mm-hmm to make him suffer for the rest of his life because I choose to take my own life. I couldn't go through with it. And I ran barefoot to the psych hospital. Um, And (laughs) there, the person that, uh, you know, that would lean over me while my brain was bleeding, she would lean over me and I'd be like, wow, you're so beautiful. It was my sponsee sister at Mm -hmm. the time. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to call her and I'm going to ask her to be my sponsor. Because I only knew that way is the only way to freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, jail never helped me stay clean. Uh, Church never helped me stay clean. And, you know, a a big part of it is that people uh, that have been to to hell, you know what I'm saying, are like more spiritual, you know? Like, you know, uh, religion is for people that haven't been to hell Mm -hmm. and spirituality is for people that have already been there. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I got my sponsor. Now I'm in the psych hospital. I'm like, all right, we got this. I said, I need some literature. So she sent me all the literature. Mm -hmm. Now it's me, God and literature by myself, isolated. You know, the disease is just in me, but I knew that, you know, from being in the program that the solution is in the literature and I just had to do the work, you know? And uh, I, I sat there for 14 days writing, reading, only in literature, you know what I'm saying? Because 
from my experience and from what I saw is that I could get that freedom again. And that's how I got clean. Well, yeah. So, uh, how has these uh, 15 months been? Yeah, it's been lit, dog. <laughs> like, my life is beautiful, you know? So, like, you know, I got clean during the pandemic. Yeah, we out here in Florida. I yeah. still hit meetings. So, like, you know, shit was wide open when it went, when it, I guess, shouldn't have been, yeah. you know? And, uh, you know, I still hit meetings in person and I still got my key tags yeah, yeah. While, while they were like, oh, man. Like, uh, we're on lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like, that didn't stop me from being on Zoom meetings with my kid running around the house crazy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I knew the solution was to participate in my recovery, you know? And it was super lit. Like, like I everything that I do today uh, is recovery-based, just like it used to be. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't have certain, I don't have certain things now that I learned from. So there's a lot of lessons. You remove the man and you focus on the child, right? You know, like you you have a sponsor, you have a relationship with your sponsor, you call your sponsor every single day. There's very special, uh, important things that have to be done on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Without that, I'm feeding my disease and I'm not feeding my recovery, you know? And like I... um have to say that, like, you know, I've had a lot of lessons in recovery as well, you know, like who who I allow in my life or what crowd I allow in my life is who what reflects me, you know. So I've had to cut a lot of people out of my life that uh, were living dirty in recovery, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I chair meetings. I have three home groups that nice. I hit, you know, all the time. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I'm just always there, you know, like anything. Like, I just went down to the Keys, like, a couple of weeks ago um, to the uh, the fish fry in the yeah. Keys. And uh, that shit was lit. Yeah, I can't wait for another retreat. Oh, no, they're doing it next year. Oh, next year? So, oh, I was out sick. there, like, you know, mingling and talking. Uh-huh. And, like, that shit's going to be super lit. But, like, I have fun. My And my son goes to every single meeting that mm-hmm. I go to. Very well behaved. How does he know? He's gonna. He's four. Okay, cool. He's the size of a seven-year-old, though. He yeah, wears he's like seven-year-old clothes, <laughs> but you know, he he's young. But you know, he'll say the prayer with me. Mm-hmm. You know, like and, and and you know, people in recovery don't be like they're not like oh, don't bring your jit to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Like I bring my kid wherever I go, and like on some like real shit, he passes the basket in two of my home groups. Yeah. That's he cool. participates, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, listen, like this is what I got to do to stay clean. I'm going to I'm going to bring you with me. Yeah. You know? So he's all I have, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh it just I am well connected where I feel comfortable and where I get my hope from. What's your relationship been like with your parents getting clean? There's some things that we don't, you know, still talk about. Yeah. We don't talk about, but it's still I still got it in me, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, you know, my mom had to participate being a mom for my child because I decided to use and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, there's been a lot of jealousy. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you think you're a better mo- mom than me? Oh, like, like you did me? Like how mm-hmm. you did me? You, you know, like, uh, like, wow, you treat my son good. But like when I was a kid. You, it wasn't like that. It yeah. wasn't like that. So there's a lot of like jealousy and stuff like that. And like, I really... I I am there because 
when DCF gave me back my son, they said I couldn't live alone mm-hmm. and I don't have a partner. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, there's a lot of differences, um, but I'm proud of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can like, you know, know that they'll be there tomorrow when I wake up, you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to be off doing crazy, like ratchet shit. Yeah. So like, I'm proud of my parents. I mean, my dad, I, I don't know. Our our relationship is all right, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I, I, I feel that like I could love them better if I wasn't there. Yeah. When you live with your parents, it's totally so hard. Dude, you gotta like. have that distance. <laughs> that distance is so healthy. Yeah, for real. Because they'd be like, because uh, you know, I lived at home when I first got clean. Because you know, whenever I was young, and uh, man, they'd be coming at you for like crazy shit. That you know, I remember just getting mad because they told me like make my bed or whatever, yeah. or something <laughs> to put away this dish or like, and it's like petty little things. But like you know, you feel like you're an adult, and I just live there. But right, and then like there's just so much tension all the time. But when you when you don't live there, there's like a that break, right. and then when you're not around, they like miss you. Yeah. So then when you go there, it's like all good and all smiles, and then you leave, and then like that distance is just like uh, super healthy. I always tell everybody, like obviously, you know, they help out with your son, but like I always tell you, like, bro, go into a halfway house. Yeah. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to go to halfway. I can just go to my parents' house. I was oh, like, you shouldn't no. put that shit on them, and you shouldn't put that shit on yourself. Right. You know? Yeah. Because like even now, like I. You know, I bought a new car because I was riding around in a crackhead car mm-hmm. with a missing window, and it was hot, no AC. <laughs> so I got a car now, and then the next step is to get a place. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But it's like baby steps. You know, yeah. like I'm, and I tried to get into a, a halfway house actually that was uh, women and children. That's cool. But it's, it's just so hard. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a little above what I can afford. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, dang. Well, like, all right, maybe not right now. Yeah. But like I, I'll I'll be I'll be out of there soon. But mm-hmm. that's only because I stay clean just for today. Of course. You no know, fuck around. I use. You can kiss my car goodbye. You can kiss my kid goodbye. Mm-hmm. Put everything on top of the pipe, mm-hmm. the needle, anything. You know. Yeah. That's the way I use. Mm-hmm. If you uh, if you were able to meet someone that has like a similar story to you, struggling to stay clean, like like I guess like what questions do you get from people? You know, like some kid called me today and he's like, yo, I heard you, he got my number for someone. He's like, yo, I heard you got clean at 19. And he's like, can you give me some advice? And uh, I was like, well, the first thing is stop thinking that you're different than anybody else. It's the same shit whether you're 19 or 90. Right. So that's like the first thing I told him. But like we talked or whatever. But like, do you get those calls? Like, you know, because I know people are probably like, yo, Renee can help this person because like you guys are very similar or whatever. And like, what do you tell people? that are like in the streets tricking, you know, shooting dope and like they think there's no hope for them. Oh, like what I tell like my people that yeah. I know, like I've told a lot of people that, you know, baby, like it just takes one more and he's going to be dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people get clean. Yeah. But like the people that I come in contact at meetings that ask me questions, because a lot of people are like, I don't understand. You had like a, like a, what, like, why you walk like that? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, questions like that. And I'll tell them, I'll, I'll say, you know, that's because I used. And they'll be like, oh my, you know, and it changes their whole perception yeah. because they don't know, like, young people don't know that, bro, it only takes one. Mm-hmm. And Shit. it's not always an overdose and a death. There's all no. sorts of stuff that can yeah, happen. Yeah, I mean, pfft. 
But like yeah. what I would say to somebody that's using is that like or like struggling is that no addict seeking recovery need ever die. You mm -hmm. know, that just means keep on coming back. There's a way out. Yeah, there's a way out. There's freedom. Yeah, this kid was talking to me today and he was asking me all these questions. And he was like, uh, yeah, well, it's hard for me because I'm at this treatment center and there's this girl in there and she's like, I'm too young to get clean, da 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 And he was like, you know, sometimes I feel like I should just get clean later. And I was just like, brother, ain't no later. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, when do you want to get clean, 30? You ain't going to make it to 30. Right. Like, bro, you're 19. You probably got four more years. If right. you're best case scenario, I was like, bro, with fentanyl oh. on the streets, I was like, you probably got four or five years. And I was telling him, like, you don't see old heroin addicts no more. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like back in the day, there was like a whole bunch of people in their 60s that were yeah, on heroin. Junkies and shit. You don't yeah. see that no more. No. You don't see nobody that's using opiates for more than five, six years. There's no such thing as like, oh, I've been shooting dope for 20 years. It's really rare. Most right. people are just dying. Right. You, you know? know, I mean, and, and, you know, same with me. Like, I, I only used for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, and then I had major heart surgery. Yeah. And then I used for like one week, dude. Yeah. And then I had two brain surgeries. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was trying to tell him because he was like, oh, well, because when you're young, you try to tell yourself like, oh, I haven't used that long. But it's like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, my sponsor used to always say like, you know, if you sucked one dick, you're gay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you don't, you don't gotta, you know, it's like, it doesn't need, you don't need to smoke crack a thousand times to be a crackhead. You know right, what I mean? It's right, like, bro, if right. you smoke crack once, you're a crackhead. Yeah, all right. Up, it's yo. like, bro, normal people ain't smoking crack here and there, you know? And um, like, you know, I always tell people, it's like, bro, you don't have to be a thousand pounds to get in shape. Like you could get in shape right where you're at. Exactly. You know, and I and he was telling me like, oh, well, people's bottoms are so different than mine. Oh, and I was just like, bro, you just got to focus on that. If you ended up in a meeting, you did the same shit everyone else did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, like a, a lot of girls that like uh, where I work, they'll mm -hmm. ask me, they're like, man, like, you know, Renee, like, man, how you like got through that? I said, well, man, just for today, one day at a time. And they'll be like, well, you know, I really don't think I want to get clean right now the young ones you know yeah. and and i'll say look man uh you know time passes so fast you wouldn't even know it hit you you know it's like mm -hmm. you use one more time and you don't know what happens like and i always and i always like try to break it to them like that like you know you, you might not identify what what happened to me because mine's on some other shit mm -hmm. but the pain is the same yeah. you know what i'm saying and you could also get the hope that anybody can recover, you know, and a lot of them like start finding a little like hope in little things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Some some don't see it at all. Yeah. I mean, I just believe that they're, like I don't see any upside to using anymore. And like that's what I feel like being restored to sanity is like when I see using, I don't see any benefit. Like what's the benefit? And like to being clean, like there's this guy who says like, Bro, if you get clean and you're a thief, you'll become the best thief ever. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. like, bro, I don't care what it is. Like, if you just got clean, just not use drugs or, like, alcohol, marijuana. If you just got 100% clean, like, you'd be the best at whatever you were doing. Like, you'd just be so much clearer and on point. And it's like, you know, you talk about having fun in recovery. Like, I used to think, like, man, if I got clean, I'm not going to have no fun. And I remember someone saying, bro, smoking crack ain't fun. <laughs> Yo. But I was like, but yeah, up yo. until he said that, I was like, <laughs> I was like, really? Because I used to think smoking crack was fun. No, me too. Like, shit, to me, smoking crack was fun, but it's because I hadn't forgotten what it was like to 
you know, do something that I, I didn't have no hobbies when I got clean. Yeah. I didn't know what I like to do, you know, and it took me a long time to find stuff that I enjoy doing. I remember getting clean and asking normal people, like, what do you do all day? You know, like, well, yeah. And, you know, like the important, like what I find important, too, is that like my experience is that like, you know, people in the streets try to drag me to a dumpster. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then when I got introduced to a program of people that just want to hug me, yeah. love me back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, was a completely different experience that I, I was not familiar with, but yeah. I loved it. So yeah. that made it easy for me to be comfortable and act a fool and dance at these, you know, uh, conventions when I know I can't dance <laughs> uh, at all, you know, yeah. or, you know, I mean, like just being with people, is, it's, it's like, you know, speaking to one addict is like, you know, it's like a reflection, you know, of things I find in common, you know, and I find it like, and a lot of people like are scared to get in touch with that, you know, like talking and being intimate with somebody. Yeah, of course. And like, you know, there's just like something that is like so natural in the rooms that you just feel like you can say and be anything. You know, like you're talking about the face tattoos. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, bro, you could walk in with like a pink dress on, high heels, like with tattoos on your face and a mohawk. Mm-hmm. And people be like, yo, we're going to eat after this. You know, Straight like up. like there's just like a lot of uh, love and uh, acceptance right. for like the worst of the worst. Like, bro, homeless people come in. No one cares. What's up, bro? Give mm-hmm. you a hug. Like that might be the most important person there. So it's like, you know, I haven't found anything similar or even close to the type of acceptance that I see in 12-step meetings. Right, right. And, you know, like I don't have to be so hard. Mm-hmm. You know, my this was to keep you away, yeah. to make you think that I was gonna fuck you up, yeah. you know, before you got to me, you know, like it was like a, you know, uh armor. Yeah. You know, but now it's more of a like, you know, I'm back to being somebody that's accepted. For sure. You know, like no one gives a fuck that I walk like this. Mm-hmm. No one cares that I walk with a limp. Mm-hmm. I I walk like two miles a day at really? my job. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. And they told yeah. me I could never do that, but but I could do that because I participate in my recovery mm-hmm. today. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd be hitting it at work, mm-hmm. doing my job. You know, and 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 you know, like that wouldn't be possible without my higher power in the program and the love that I get. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, I appreciate you for coming. I know you don't like speaking, but <laughs> I think uh, you know it's definitely gonna help somebody. Okay, thank you. Love you very much. Love you too. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.